Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Hello, listeners. We are so glad to have you join us for our podcast series, Facts and Myths About Suicide. One of the most serious outcomes to depression is suicide, both attempted and completed. Suicide is a very difficult topic for many healthcare providers to bring up to a patient exhibiting signs of depression, but it's a necessary topic to discuss when it comes to patient safety. Throughout the series, you will learn about the statistics of suicide, myths associated with suicide and suicidal thought, risk factors associated with suicide, and how to effectively assess a patient in regards to their risk of attempting suicide. Before we delve into this discussion with our host, Leanna, and mental health expert, Dr. Reg, please note that this podcast series contains content that may be alarming to some listeners regarding mental illness and self-harm. We at Calibri Healthcare developed this content to be educational and genuine in our approach to bringing attention to mental illness from a healthcare provider's perspective. Because of the sensitive topic being discussed, we do recommend that this podcast series is for adults only. Now let's join in the discussion. Welcome to a podcast featuring Dr. Reg Williams. Dr. Williams is Professor Emeritus at the School of Nursing and Psychiatry in the Medical School at University of Michigan and serves as a nurse practitioner. Dr. Reg did a previous podcast on depression. If you have not heard that, please look for it in our library. It's excellent. This episode will feature uh, Dr. Williams speaking to us about suicide. Welcome, Dr. Williams. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure being here with you. Yes, another very, very important topic. And uh, I'd like to first start out by, uh, there's some interesting statistics around suicide, if I'm not mistaken. It's more prevalent than most people would think. Is that correct? You got it. And that is very true. Um, Just as a lead into some of the statistics uh, is to kind of tell you, uh, I've often done a lecture uh, to nursing students at University of Michigan. And uh, one of the things that I asked the nursing students, and I've done this this lecture a number of times, and this response has been consistent from term after term after term. And what I do is I say, okay, uh, how many of you know a person that's more than just an acquaintance, could be a family member, could be a friend, could be someone that you know fairly well, uh, that has made an attempt in suicide. Then I ask that same question as to how many of you know people that have actually completed suicide? With the attempt, about 80% or more of the students will raise their hand. So they'll know someone who made an attempt. Out of completed, it will be half the class. And I have done that term wow. after term, and that has been consistent. So it, it just sort of, I think in a way, almost captures the essence of the statistics of, of suicide. But to answer your question, 
I mean, it is really the most serious outcome to depression. Uh, if anything that is more earth shattering is having a patient complete suicide. And I should mention uh, in terms of the term complete suicide versus, um, a, uh, you know, they, they, they suicide, uh, something like that. The, the proper term is to say completed suicide. Uh, because sometimes the, the terms that have been used to talk about suicide are rather derogatory. And, and so completed has been shown to be the most really understanding of what a person goes through when they are thinking of suicide. But in any event, um, there probably is about 12 million people that have seriously thought about suicide, 3.6 million that have had a plan. And 4.5 million have attempted. And so those are statistics that have been put out by the CDC uh, in 2021. So literally just a year ago. And, uh, you know, those are pretty, pretty serious when you think about it. It's considered the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. And homicide is 16th. So that sends a big, important message to realize that suicide exceeds homicide. Um, mm. What's most concerning, it is um, the, between the ages of 15 and 24, it's the second leading cause of death. And accidents really? for that age group is first. So you're talking second mm. compared to accidents. I mean, that's sobering in itself. It is. Uh, the statistics sort of suggest uh, that eight out of 10 people give warning signs. My feeling is it's actually more than eight to 10, uh, eight out of 10, I should say. Um, it is the fact that people do give warning signs. They very often do, but a lot of people miss them. Family is exceedingly miss them, that they don't know that, that, that their family member is really seriously thinking of suicide. And I can give you a couple case examples of just this. Uh, but in any event, um, the COVID uh, suicide attempts were slightly higher in adolescent boys, but 51% of adolescent girls had seriously attempted. So that is sobering when you're finding girls at, 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 as adolescents making an attempt. And it's the stress of what they're under and the isolation that they, they experience during COVID. And so, you know, it's, those things are quite sobering when you think about it. You gave a number in when we talked about depression in a previous uh, podcast interview that there were more than 47,000 completed suicides per year. And you made an interesting comparison at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the Vietnam War. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think what, what helps to kind of put that in perspective, when you think about that many people uh, actually completing suicide, uh, that put in perspective, that's per year. Well, in the Vietnam War, 58,000 young men and women died in that war. But that was the entire war. Yeah, that's incredible. So, you know, when you think wow. about it, how many people are dying from suicide 
as compared to how many people died in the Vietnam War. And that puts, again, puts it in real perspective for you to think about just how serious this is. And any suicide is tragic. But that's one death we, that wasn't needed. Right, right. I'm assuming these are American statistics. How do we compare with other countries? Just curious. Yeah, it's rather interesting in terms of when you look at what's sort of out there uh, in terms of, of statistics. Um, there, there's one research study that showed that 13.9 suicide deaths per 100,000, so you're dealing with 13 or almost 14, basically, uh, uh, suicide deaths in 100,000 people uh, in the U.S., whereas in the U.K., it's 7.3. So when you think about that, it's almost double. And so Mm -hmm. suicide rate in the U.S. is higher than any other country. Developed country, as as I probably would say, you know, because statistics that are kept in other countries uh, that are poor or whatever uh, are not very accurate. So, and even even U.S. statistics sure. aren't necessarily completely accurate because of the number of people that might have died of suicide, but were thought of as an accident or something like that. Right. Um. So. I know that there are some things that we do understand about suicide, but there are also myths associated with it, correct? Correct. And uh, there are a number of them. Yeah, there is a number of the myths that, that people hold about suicide. But let me give you a couple examples. I think one that I've literally heard people say, well, you know, I'm afraid of asking the, the, the patient about suicide. Uh, that will plant the idea in the patient's head. That is an absolute myth. Mm-hmm. I can assure you that in all the years that I've practiced and asked people about their suicidal thoughts, that they've ever said to me, well, no, I wasn't thinking of suicide, but now that you mentioned, that's a good idea. You know, I've never had that happen, and it's a myth. It, you're not going to plant the idea of suicide in their head by just asking them. If anything it does, is it, you will see a sense of relief that all, they now have told someone else because chances are good. They have never let anybody else know that they were actually thinking of suicide mm-hmm. or they may have sent out um, warning signs, you know, let people sort of know, but no one picked up on it. So it's that relief that someone asked them straight out, you know, and that makes them then feel like someone cares about what's happening to me. And that's what is so important in suicide. Um, Another myth is uh, that nothing can be done about those who really want to die. That's a myth. Anybody that is thinking of suicide, you can actually prevent a suicide by the fact that you talk with them. And, uh, And so the idea that there's nothing that can be done is nonsense. It There is. And uh, now, there are some people that are so bent to kill themselves that they, they still could do that. But I can assure you that most people, if they get it out and they know that you care about what's going to happen to them, etc., the chances of, of their co- actually completing a suicide is much, much decreased. So that's important. Uh, and that multiple suicide attempts are just a means to get attention. 
No. We hear this all the time. Yeah, you, you do. And what you have to understand is even with people who have maybe made more than several attempts, uh, if they go without support and this dealt with, they eventually will complete suicide. So that's what's important to recognize. So you never, ever ignore it. And you never say, oh, well, they, you know, they just say it. And, oh, they're not going to do it. Yes, they are capable of, of completing suicide. The important thing is, is get them the resources they need to not get to that place. I know that depression leads to suicide, but why does this, why do they become suicidal? Yeah, I, I can give you a, a sort of an idea of sort of the typical pattern that's followed. What, what usually happens is that the person has a, a loss of sense of self. So they, they just, they don't know who they are, you know, what they're feeling, that kind of thing. And that leads, so you kind of think of almost like an arrow now leading to a loss of prestige. You know, I don't feel good about myself. I feel terrible. I feel worthless. I don't feel valued. Uh, much of the research that we did uh, in depression was where we found sense of belonging was really a predictor of someone being depressed. And then that could lead to suicide. Hmm. Um, and a sense of isolation. Because see, the problem with depression is, is it creates that sense of isolation anyway, but that sort of falls out from that loss of prestige, feeling worthless and not valued. You know, why should I talk to somebody when I don't feel valued anyway? And that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That then leads to feelings of hopelessness. And, uh, and that sense of nothing's ever going to get better. I'll never get over this. I'm going to be, I'm going to spend the rest of my life feeling like this, which is not true, but that's how they're thinking. Um, that's when they will either attempt or complete suicide. So it's kind of follows that if you can sort of think of arrows, as I just described those, just one leads to the next kind of thing. I did a, um, a workshop uh, some years ago uh, on uh, suicide. And I was presenting and uh, this young man came up to me and he said, you know, you mentioned how hopelessness was a factor in someone uh, actually completing suicide. He said, when I was a teenager, he said, I felt so hopeless that I actually made an attempt. And he says, you know, thank God I didn't die. He said, but I had such a sense of hopelessness that nothing was ever going to get better. And he says, I later found out, yes, it would. But at that moment, that's how I was thinking. And I thought, wow, that, you know, that's pretty profound when he made that comment. And I, it really did send home you know, that sense of hopelessness of how powerful it is in uh, suicidal thought. What other contributing factors, like what uh, uh, males compared to females or, you know, marital status, what are some of the factors that are more prevalent in different demographics? Right. There's a, there's a ton of them that, that really contribute to a person uh, feeling suicidal. But, but let's go over some of them. I think it'll help sort of put them in perspective. Uh, interesting, marital status it's sort of the highest, going from the highest to the lowest, is a person who is single and alone uh, ver versus married. 
And they are twice as likely to complete a suicide than a person that's married with children. Now, that's not 100% guarantee, but I always have a little sense of relief when I'm dealing with a patient who's married and, and, and has children, that they are more prone to think about their kids and what it's going to do to them, which can help them from not acting on a thought. Uh, but that's no guarantee. And so what's most important is to put that as part of the total evaluation that you do when you are concerned about someone suicidal. Another one is sex. Um, you know, attempts, it's one male to four females. So females are more likely really? to attempt where it's just the flip. It's three to one, but three males will complete suicide as compared to one female. So sex, there is a difference in terms of suicidal wow. rate. And so that's pretty profound. Um, race, surprisingly, the highest is in whites and American Indians. Those are the two groups really? that have some of the highest rates of suicide. And, uh, uh, and what's also important is to recognize that age is a factor, and especially in white males, in the ages of 45 to 59, they are more prone to complete suicide. And so it's serious. And age is something that you look at as to, you know, what is a risk factor for that person of actually completing suicide or even attempting. So either one, it doesn't matter. The point is, is you need to be worried about their suicidality. Um, weapons. Uh, what, what happens here and that, what's interesting about this is it sort of goes in this sort of fashion. The most common form of completing suicide is using firearms. And think about it. Wow. You know, if you put a gun in your mouth, well, there's no going back. You can't say, oh, ooh, ooh, pull the trigger and say, oh, I changed my mind. No, it's too late. And so there's where it is high lethality. And we'll talk about lethality in, in just a moment. But in any event, Weapons are very serious. And um, next is, um, uh, is suffocation. So, uh, you know, hanging can be a form of that, uh, that kind of thing. Poisoning, where you're taking an overdose of, of sleeping pills or using a car in the garage and, and actually complete suicide by that method. And then about 8% or others. So the uh, poison is about 15%. Uh, suffocation is around 26%. And other is 8%. So those are sort of, sort of statistically what happens in terms of firearms as compared to others. I wanted to ask you, when you talk about weapons, is it true that men generally use more violent means of suicide than, than women who are more passive? Or is that another myth? Would they be more likely to use handguns, for example? No, the, the men would be more likely to use a gun. Women will generally use gotcha. pills. Uh, that's, that's not a okay. But again, those are, are relative. Uh, you know, some women do complete suicide using a gun, so it isn't 100%. But, but if you're dealing just on a statistical basis, 
that's more often the case. If you look at suicide rates across the U.S., and you look at the number of guns that are across the U.S., it's almost as if you could put the two maps, superimpose each other. So people in the West will use guns for making an attempt to suicide or completing suicide because they have more access to guns. And so when mm. you look at the, at the map, you see that it actually shows where guns are more prevalent, there's a higher suicide rate because it is so, wow. so darn dangerous in terms of what, what it does to a person in actually completing suicide. That's why, in part, why we have a difference between us and the UK, as an example, uh, because we've got m- far, far more weapons in this country than anywhere else in the world. And boy, it's scary. Yeah. So that's a factor too. Yeah, it certainly is. The whole concept of lethality uh, is uh, an interesting concept uh, where there are certain methods that are what are considered high lethality. In other words, there's no going back. Uh, and guns would be an example of a high lethality. Uh, jumping, hanging, um, uh, drowning, uh, barbiturates. Uh, and what's surprising, and this will be shocking to some people, is aspirin and Tylenol is more dangerous uh-huh. and it's highly lethal. And people say, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if you take a whole bottle of aspirin, some people thought that what it does is it caused bleeding. No, what it does is it actually changes some of your body chemistry and you actually start to go into organ failure. And so that's what it can, mm-hmm. it can do to kill you. Tylenol has the effect on the liver and it doesn't yes. take a whole lot of Tylenol above the recommended maximum dose to actually cause damage to your liver. And there have been people that didn't even, were just taking it for pain and literally got into real difficulty because their, their liver shut down. And so it is something serious to be very careful in the use of Tylenol, which leads to when you have someone suicidal, just as a point of mention here, since we're talking about it, mm-hmm. is that if it's always wise to ask the patient, you know, do you have access to a gun? get it out of the house. And many times patients are quite willing for you to have a, a family member, a friend, take the gun and get it out of the house because it's too darn dangerous and they need to be removed. And so same thing with meds, you get them out of the house so that, that there's no way that that person is going to be tempted, especially when they get to really feeling very down and very much suicidal thought. Occupational factors are, are a contributor sometimes. Surprisingly, lawyers, police, musicians, physicians, and the highest is in unemployed and unskilled workers. So it's kind of like, well, wow. why lawyers? Kind of like, well, that's yeah. sort of odd. Well, they're in a business of either winning or losing. There's no in-between. It's either win or lose. If you have a lot of right. losses, that'll right. kind of get to you. And I imagine that there are some lawyers that really get down and get very depressed because they're not able to win a case. 
Uh, and so that could be one, one factor that contributes to lawyers, higher rate in lawyers. Uh, police, well, that's pretty simple. Who's got access mm. to guns? Police. Right. So there's, that explains that. Musicians, what do they have access to? Drugs. So there you go in terms right. of how it puts them at higher risk. And physicians, because of they have access to meds. And, uh, and they, they will sometimes overdose on something. And so that, that happens. Mm. And that, but the, the highest, though, is in unemployed and unskilled. And you can see that that would contribute. The biggest factor in, in occupation is to recognize that they have a feeling of failed in their role as either a parent or as a, you know, a lawyer or as a physician, et cetera. They failed in a lawyer and, or they failed in a marriage. Uh, you know, they feel like they're just a total loss. And so that that then justifies the, in their mind to then go ahead and make an attempt. So that's why it's sort of important. Um, other mm -hmm. factors are, uh, you know, a psychiatric disorder. Well, you know, obviously depression is probably the biggest psychiatric disorder that can contribute to suicide. Um, alcoholism. Right. Uh, and alcoholism, it's, it's almost, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that they were using alcohol to self-medicate because they were feeling so lousy? And therefore, they used alcohol to just feel better? Or is it that they actually were suffering depression, which then led, led them to alcoholism? It's hard to know, but the fact remains is that alcoholism and depression can go hand in hand. And again, what I often have to talk with patients about is if they're dr over drinking, that I explain to them that in Reality, it's making their depression worse, which makes them even more risk for suicide. And so that's another factor. Um, the um, uh, a, a surgery, a recent surgery or chronic pain, uh, are uh, those are more of, of uh, physical illnesses that can, a person can have that can contribute to it. Um, the one thing I didn't mention with, with uh, psychiatric disorders is if they are abusing drugs and then they even go higher if they're not only abusing uh, street drugs, but they also are abusing alcohol, those two combinations really make them even at higher risk. So those are serious. But getting back to the physical illnesses, uh, chronic pain is a factor. Um, oh, yeah, right. Recent surgery. If they've had surgery uh, or chronic diseases uh, where they, they, they have, know that it's not going to get better. And it's very chronic and it's just a downhill side. Or they have a terminal illness such as cancer. And cancer is not a necessarily a terminal illness, but it can move to a terminal illness and they can be at higher risk for suicide. So it, 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 physical illnesses can really be a factor. In social factors, um, living alone is one that is really dangerous because they're, they're, they're by themselves, no one to talk with. And one of the things I know about right. people that are feeling suicidal 
is they need to get their feelings out. And if they have no one else to talk with, they just sit there and they just start ruminating about the same thought over and over and over, and then eventually say, you know what? I'm better off dead. Thank you for joining us for episode one of our series, Facts and Myths About Suicide. The statistics Dr. Red shared with us early in this episode translates the number of annual suicides in the United States to an average of one person every 11.1 minutes and one attempt every 26.6 seconds. As he stated, the statistics are very sobering. There are many myths regarding suicide, and we hope this episode has helped to clear up some of those misconceptions. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of taking their life or are in an immediate health crisis, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. This line is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you will be connected to trained counselors who can provide support and resources. I hope you can join us for episode two of this series where Dr. Reg and Leanna will continue the discussion of suicide risk factors and provide encouragement and how to evaluate someone appropriately to determine if they are at risk for completing suicide. This is Dr. Candice Pierce for Calibri Healthcare. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.